Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast, where we take a behind-the-scenes intimate look at surgery from leaders in the field. Behind the Knife listeners, this is Patrick Georgeoff, and I wanted to let you know that we are giving away free Behind the Knife AppSite review books. To be entered into our drawing, all you need to do is leave Behind the Knife a review on Apple Podcasts and include your Twitter or Instagram handle, or email us at btkpodcast at gmail.com to let us know that you showed BTK some love. Simply scroll down to the ratings and review section on the Apple Podcasts app to tell the world how much you appreciate Behind the Knife. Submit before September 1st for a chance to win one of five free AppSite review books. And don't forget, BTK is looking for enthusiastic surgery residents to join our team. More information can be found by clicking on the fellowship application link in the show notes. Remember, applications are due August 22nd. So get to it. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Behind the Knife. Today, we are covering a very important topic, um, something that has not been covered on Behind the Knife um, in the past. And I am very elated to be joined by esteemed members of the Commission on Cancer Surgery Standards Program, the CSSP. The American College of Surgeons launched the CSSP in June of 2020. And this was a part of the growing movement to implement the standardized operative techniques for cancer surgery. Our guests include the CSSP Education Committee Chair and MD Anderson Breast Surgical Oncologist, Dr. Tashoma, the Vice Chair and Surgical Oncologist, Dr. Timothy Vreeland, and the committee's resident member, Dr. Lexi Adams. I am so, so happy to have you all on Behind the Knife. And like I said, this is um, an engaging topic, not just for surgical oncologists, but something that the general surgeons should be aware out in community who sometimes are performing these operations as their index operations for the patients. So without further ado, uh, I'm going to give the mic to Dr. Tashoma. Can you tell us a little bit more about the creation and goals of this program? Hi, Sharia. Thank you so much for um, such a lovely introduction. Uh, the Sur- uh, Cancer Surgery Standards Program, or CSSP, was created approximately one year ago in June 2020 as part of a growing movement to implement national standards for cancer surgery. Increasingly, evidence shows that adherence to specific operative techniques with specific documentation of these steps are directly linked to improvement in patient outcomes, um, including survival and quality of life. Currently, compliance with six operative standards has been adopted for accreditation by the Commission on Cancer um, through the accreditation process um, for different institutions. Yeah, I think that's great. I'll just kind of jump on that point, Madigat. And again, Shreya, I would just reiterate, thank you so much for the opportunity to, to be here. I know you guys have a large audience and we're excited to share all this with your audience. Yeah, you know, the the reality is that there are studies that show that if people, if surgeons adhere to the standards that are out there, that patients have better oncologic outcomes. So better survival, better disease-free survival, et cetera. Um, And, you know, it's hard to get those standards disseminated sometimes. And so the, the ACS through the COC has really 
made this effort to, to educate the community, whether it be general surgeons or surgical oncologists who are performing these operations to, you know, educate them about these standards and try to get them picked up and, and performed uh, widely throughout the community in order to improve patient outcomes. So, you know, this is a really important effort and we're excited to share it with your audience uh, and particularly with trainees um, as we sort of move forward and, and uh, we'll get into the standards, but trainees are very important in adhering to these standards as well. You make an excellent point. And um, as we were discussing pre-recording, you know, this is this is a topic that um, has been um something that people and surgeons have been working on for more than a decade. And um, a lot of people don't even know that so much effort and committees are going, you know, behind in making this, um, these guidelines. So just the fact that we are bringing this topic to our, like, to our audience, letting them know that these guidelines exist, these committees exist is a big step. And with the constant evolution of oncologic care, it just makes sense to delineate a list of core operative principles for any surgeon performing a cancer surgery. Yes, that's that's right, Shreya. And like Dr. Breland said, there's a huge opportunity to teach residents here. And part of why we're so excited to be on Behind the Knife and um, have a large uh, audience of residents hear about the operative standards. Because not only do we go over the key technical steps of all the cancer operations um, that, of course, any resident should know for their in-training or their board exams, but it also, uh, through the CSSP, we provide a lot of resources that you can learn more about the evidence behind the creation of these standards. Um, and then, of course, in a, a more day-to-day practical sense, uh, a lot of these standards include a synoptic operative report, which might end up being the responsibility of residents to fill out um, in the EMR uh, when they're caring for these patients. Well, absolutely. As um, as we progress through our residency and now becoming a PGY four, um, we are getting that responsibility of like taking a you know taking a stab at writing. Um, uh, operative reports, and you then sense, you know, you really come to realize that there are so many um, key points that you have to make sure that you document because a lot of oncologic care goes from community hospitals or like local hospitals to bigger centers, and these operative reports are your, um, you know, a very important part of the puzzle. So what sort of resources can residents use to learn more about these standards? Can you comment on that, Lexi? Yes, Um, so the ACS has uh, a whole section of their website dedicated to the Cancer Surgery Standards Program. Um, And you can find all these links at the um, facs.org slash CSSP, a nice quick link for you. And we'll put that in the show notes. But you can uh, find the links to the literature uh, that was used to create these standards. Um, And there are also a bunch of visual abstract aids um, and then videos going over specific operative techniques that um, are useful uh, to learn about the the standards as well. The CSSP has also put out a whole series of webinars to go over each standard in detail and also um, the whole principle behind doing synoptic operative reports. Um, But by far, I think the best resource that's come out of this effort uh, are the textbook series, the operative standards for cancer surgery. And those include uh, not only the basics of the operations themselves, but 
those really um, deep dives into the, the evidence where you can um, read why these standards have evolved to the place they are um, and the literature behind it. And they, there's already two volumes out um, and the third volume is about to come out um, soon. And can I just, I just want to add one point in there. So there are a couple different things that we'll be talking about here. So there are current standards that the COC is going to start requiring. And then there are these textbooks that Lexi just referenced. Uh, the book is called The Operative Standards for Cancer Surgery. And again, there's multiple volumes. So for the residents, I think reading those books are is fantastic because it goes over not just the standards that are currently required by the COC, but it goes over a number of cancer operations. You know, there's about four disease sites per textbook. And again, there's two out and a third one coming and a fourth one is, is being worked on in the background. So if you read all those volumes, you kind of will get this great overview of standard of way, the standard way that cancer operations should be done across multiple disease sites. So that's great for education. And then, you know, we're, we'll also talk about things that are actually required by the COC for accreditation. So two, you know, different but intermingled projects there. And for residents, I think the, those textbooks are an absolutely invaluable tool. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, and I think that really they um, are very comprehensive and highlight, I would say, um, you know, an extensive amount of information and what would be really important for residents as they're going through their training, especially for those interested in careers in um, surgical oncology. Um, and even with the six COC operative standards, which have been currently adopted, we really can't emphasize the role of trainees in implementation um, enough. Um, we think that it's so important for residents to become familiar with the elements of each standard, the evidence that's behind them, um, not only for their own training, but also for your future practice, even if you don't plan to subspecialize um, in oncology. And it's really um, probably a fact that these standards are going to be the reality for all of us in our future practice, especially um, as, uh, you know, healthcare and medicine continues to evolve um, so as more trainees and surgeons begin adhering to these standards, we really do um, believe that the quality of cancer care for our patients will improve. And also, of course, for residents um, to know these key operative techniques and why we do them when they're walking into a case, they'll just really look like superstars in the operating room. And, you know, who doesn't want to do that? So uh, this is really, I think, a phenomenal opportunity for our residents um, in terms of their education. We all hope for that, certainly. So in more concrete terms, what are these standards? Dr. Whelan? Yeah, so, um, you know, this is kind of where it gets down to brass tacks. And again, I think, you know, trying to memorize all this from this podcast is probably not going to happen. But going to those resources that Lexi referenced, you know, we have a number of different resources to help with this. But the first two standards that have gone live are 5.7 and 5.8. And those were live as of the beginning of 2021. So these are, you know, hopefully people are, are practicing these things right now. Those pertain to rectal and lung cancer. These two standards are based on the pathology report. So it requires a correct operation by the surgeon, but the way that it will be assessed is through the pathology report. Um, and, and through the, specifically through the cap synoptic report, which must be completed to be in compliance with these standards. And I think Dr. Tashoma is going to tell us some details about those. Yes, exactly. So for, um, as uh, was mentioned, for rectal, the rectal cancer standard, which is standard 5.7, referred to as standard 5.7, 
um, all mid and low rectal adenocarcinoma cases performed for curative intent must have a documented um, total mesorectal excision and um, that this should be documented as either being complete or near complete. For the lung, lung cancer standard, which is referred to as standard 5.8, all curative resections for small cell or non-small cell lung cancer or carcinoid tumors must have three unique mediastinal nodal stations and one hilar nodal station reported in the pathology report. And just for any resident listeners, uh, the mediastinal stations include any single digit stations and the hilar stations are the double digit stations as a quick reminder. And then just, just to kind of finish those out, <clears throat> so compliance for those two standards, again, hopefully has already started. Sites that are being visited in uh, 2022 at that site visit, they will be reviewing the 2021 charts and again, reviewing the PATH reports. And the expectation is for 70% compliance. Uh, starting in 2023, they'll review charts from 2021, 2022. And starting in 2023, the expectation is for 80% compliance. And you know, just to stay, take a step back for a lot of residents who aren't aware of all this, you know, the COC comes and visits your institution, uh, you know, once every three years or so, and it's on a rotating schedule, et cetera, but you'll, they'll pull charts um, to check compliance with different standards. And these, that's what we're referring to here. These are new standards that are based on cancer operations, which is a new thing. It has never really been done before. And so that's why kind of all the education efforts around this is that it's a new standard that any um, institution that wants COC accreditation will have to be compliant with. Hi, all you BTK listeners out here. It's Scott with a word from our sponsor, HelloFresh. HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. For those of you who don't like the grocery store lines, you can count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. It's why it's America's number one meal kit. What are some highlights? First of all, cuts out those stressful meal planning and grocery trips with less prep, less effort, minimal cleanup. You enjoy cooking once again. Think about it. You've had a long day. Now it's time to get dinner on the table in just about 30 minutes. Furthermore, there's so many things to look for. 50 menu items in market available each week. Vegetarian, craft burgers, extra special gourmet options, all available. There is something for every one of you BTK listeners out there. Recipes are designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts that make the most out of every meal. Furthermore, you can use the flexibility that you need to customize your order right on the app within minutes. You want to change your delivery day, you want to change food preferences, you want to plan out different sizes or skip a week even, whatever you need and whatever you need it. That's why, again, it is America's number one meal kit. So go to HelloFresh.com slash Surgery14 and use code Surgery14 for up to 14 free meals plus free shipping. That's S-U-R-G-E-R-Y-1-4. That's what you have to check out. And those of you who don't know it, Green Chef is now owned by HelloFresh. And with a wider array of meal plans to choose from, there's something for everyone. Personally, us at BTK, we love switching between the brands. And now all of our listeners can enjoy both brands at a discount with all of us. So check it out, HelloFresh. I think that it's been mentioned, but I can't highlight enough that while for standards 5.7 and 5.8 um, based on rectal cancer and lung cancer are um, going to be measured for compliance on the pathology report. Really, surgeons play a huge role in helping to meet that mark. This, as a surgeon, you have to do the correct operation. 
Um, make sure to take enough nodes, label the specimens appropriately as they leave the operating room, work with your um, interdisciplinary colleagues in this regard as well. And so communication and documentation are also um, really key to meeting compliance in addition to um, performing the operation uh, correctly to meet that standard. Right. And at our own institution, we performed an internal review of all prior cases before 2021. And our compliance was pretty low, actually, especially with the long standard 5.8. And uh, we identified for us, we were appropriately labeling the specimens and um, sending it to pathology with the stations individually labeled, but we weren't actually sampling enough mediastinal stations in each of the cases. So this involved a discussion with our thoracic surgery department, and um, there was we found there was an old dogma of taking 10 total nodes um, from the mediastinum, um, which didn't quite uh, line up with the these newer guidelines of three unique mediastinal stations. So the, this new standard um, requires sampling of three mediastinal stations and one Hyler station. Um, and then that is also regardless of whether those stations have been sampled by a preoperative uh, EBUS or not. So sounds like this is not, you know, um, more than just the surgery department would be involved in this because these same SCOC guidelines and standards need to not only be disseminated to the Department of Surgery, thoracic, you know, whatever it may be, but also to pathology. That's why, like, even talking about the subject is so, so important. But the thing that you mentioned, Lexi, is this unique to just one institution or are we talking about a systemic issue here? Yeah, I think, I think it's certainly a systemic issue. And I do want to just add the caveat that we were reviewing charts before the standard, you know, became live, right? So we were prep, we were preparing for the 2021 standard, um, you know, reviewing charts that of patients who were operated on before that standard was live. So, you know, in some ways, it's not an issue. It's more like anticipating the issue and preparing your site for it. Um, but it certainly is a, a broad a broad issue. The NCCN changed their guidelines a couple of years ago, and you know, Lexi mentioned the t- the ten node thing, and that was an old standard. So I think a lot of people out in the community still operate under that standard of taking ten nodes for a lung cancer. But the new standard refers to taking specific nodal stations, three mediastinal, one hyler. So it was more just about kind of updating and communicating with our thoracic surgeons. And most of them were aware of this and, you know, sort of coming on board. But, you know, again, part of the reason that the ACS is doing this is to kind of really set a deadline and get everybody out in the community operating to the standard, uh, you know, and, and really bring that to the forefront. So I certainly don't think this is specific to our institution. I think it's a broad thing. And as you mentioned, you know, pathology departments, as well need to come online. So the cap, the cap has changed their standards. Um, and our, you know, when we went back three or four years, our pathology reports were not up to the standard either, but then they kind of had picked up already because the cap changed their standards two years ago. So yeah, certainly it, it involves just kind of making sure everybody's aware of the new standards and updating everybody and bringing everybody online um, within the institution. And and that communication, again, across multiple departments, like you mentioned, is super important. Uh, Yeah, I I think surgical 
medical oncology and oncologic care for our patients is best delivered using a multidisciplinary approach. And this is just another example of how we're going even further into, um, you know, that format of patient care. But what an excellent goal for the future. Um, So we've talked about that the first volume has talked about lung and rectal standards. Uh, What other operative standards will come after this? Oh, well, thank you. Yes. Um, Well, uh, six operative standards have been rolled out so far, but as mentioned, the rectal and lung standards are the first two, um, which will be um, measured for compliance in upcoming site visits. Um, The other four, which we referred to as standards 5.3 to 5.6, are measured for compliance through adherence to synoptic operative reports, um, which may be new for many institutions and many sites. Um, And they apply specifically to operations uh, for curative intent for melanoma, colon cancer, and breast cancer um, nodal surgery, so sentinel lymph node biopsy and axillary lymph node dissections. For example, for breast cancer, um, breast surgical oncologist, um, sentinel lymph node biopsies, surgeons will have to list elements, including what tracers were used to identify the nodes, whether they removed all, you know, sentinel nodes that had that took up the, you know, dye um, or radioactive material and um, all palpable nodes as well. And then um, uh, for colon cancer, synoptic operative reports will include tumor location, extent of the colon resection, level of vascular ligation, et cetera. So there are specific elements for each of these that need to be included in a synoptic operative report format. Um, So it it, um, includes, you know, the correct operation, the, the meeting those operative and technical aspects, but then also documenting it in a very specific way in a synoptic operative report format. Yes, and ideally these synoptic reports are integrated into the electronic health records and will just be an easy um, checkbox list of things to tick off for each case. But there will be, of course, some EMRs that are a little less tech savvy and might end up Uh, looking more like a copy paste of a synoptic operative report. And um, the ACS does provide some example synoptic reports that you can use at your own institution. So we did, uh, we also did a retrospective review of synoptic operative reporting at our institution. And of course, not surprisingly, before the standard was ever rolled out, um, our adherence was pretty low. (laughs) One point on the internal review. So I think surgeons get a little anxious when they hear they have to change the way they're doing things. But what we did find in our internal review is that while the synoptic op report compliance was very low, because, you know, we just didn't really, people didn't really know that they were supposed to be doing that. Most of the elements were already in the op notes, right? So most surgeons are already doing these things. It's just a matter of documenting them in a, in a little bit better way in a synoptic format, like the pathology report comes out, right? So surgeons are used to looking at that cap synoptic report for cancer pathology reports. So it's just bringing the surgeons online with that. And Shreya, you brought up earlier that these op notes, you know, when a patient moves from one institution to another, or if they have surgery in the community and then they go to a bigger center for their chemo or radiation, these op reports are super important for the communication. And they're also important for research that's done down the road. And that's really the goal behind these synoptic op reports is to make it easier for a, a clinician who's never seen this patient before to pull out the important information 
or for a researcher down the road to pull out this information. And integration with the EMRs, like Lexi brought up, will hopefully make some of that automated so that you could pull out this data from a thousand operative reports very quickly using an EMR. You know, that's a goal for down the road, but that's why these synoptic op reports are so important. 100%. I think this is this is where um, standardized care uh, improves outcomes. And also you are closing that gap of disparities. I mean, there's, uh, if you, if you know, we can make an entire podcast on how much disparities that, that exist in like the oncologic care that patients receive uh, in the United States. And like, this is just another way of closing and minimizing that gap. So um, when are we expected to be compliant with these standards next? Yeah, it, I'm glad you asked that question. So again, there there is some anxiety about these standards because surgeons are going to have to change something that they do and uh, that creates anxiety. So again, the first standards that are live are these ones that are based on the pathology report. The standards that we're talking about now that are based on the op report, there is some, some time. So the first time that a site visit will review operative reports is in 2024. So the 2024 site visits will review op reports from 2023. So the timeline for these standards is that this year, we're trying to get the word out, start training and, and have sites start developing their plan. If you have a site visit in 2022, the expectation, there, there is really no expectation for these. But in 2023, the expectation is that you will document a plan for how you're going to comply with these standards based on the operative report. So again, you have a couple of years to come up with your plan and document it. Now, we are encouraging that, that sites start integrating this now because you know, it's going to take a while, as we brought up earlier, it takes a while for people to get used to these things and for them to come online. So, you know, hopefully the, the sites that know a site visit is going to come in a few years are starting to plan for this and starting to integrate it and educate their surgeons about how to do it and why it's important. Uh, and so, again, sometime the first site visits that were reviewed is 2024 and the expectation will be 70%. As of 2025, the expectation will be 80% compliance uh, with these new standards. Um, operative standards are also being further developed for other um, cancer surgery sites, such as pancreas, thyroid, gastric cancer, and these will be reflected in those operative um, standards for cancer surgery um, textbook volumes. Um, and ideally, um, these will also, or I guess I should say also likely, eventually become incorporated um, as COC operative standards as well for accreditation. So I definitely um, do think that this is the beginning um, of this process and that um, uh, will continue to um, develop further for other disciplines as well. What a great topic indeed. Um, I feel like... Um, just talking about this um, and raising awareness to our podcast audience is going to be um, an excellent step towards making this integration better. Um, but any other closing thoughts? I'll start with you, Dr. Tashoma. Thank you. And thank you so much again for this opportunity um, to bring awareness, as you mentioned. The mission of our program of the entire Cancer Surgery Standards Program is really to improve the quality of care and outcomes for cancer patients um, across the country. And uh, we really do hope that our educational outreach efforts will help um, surgeons, as well as, as you mentioned, the inter interdisciplinary team become more familiar with and understand these standards. 
And I can't emphasize enough how thankful we are for um, Lexi and the other residents that have been involved from our committee. Um, and we're always looking for more help with development and dissemination of the standards. So if anyone out there is interested or has any thoughts um, of how especially we can bring this more into um, our training, please don't hesitate to reach out at CSSP. Um, or here are, here's our website, sorry. I mean, our email address, cssp at facs.org with any ideas or questions, or you can also visit our website, facs.org backslash cssp, which has a wealth of information and resources. So thank you so much again, and look forward to working together in the future. And I'll just uh, add a couple of things. My residents would say that I always have some closing thoughts. So, um, uh, no, I, I really appreciate the opportunity, you know, to 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 talk about this and particularly to focus on the trainees' role. I'm really glad that we we brought up the textbooks because I do think that those are great for residents. So, you know, check out the website. the The books are on there. Operative standards for cancer surgery. So, if you're going into a, a surgery for if you're going into some sort of oncologic resection and you want to read something the day before, these books are great. They talk about again the background data. They talk about how to do the operation and why. Uh, I really think they're an invaluable resource for those people learning these these complex cancer operations. Operations. Um, and then, you know, go to the website. We have a lot of uh, information up there. So again, thanks a lot for the opportunity today. I know you guys have a, a big audience and we really appreciate the opportunity to share this with your audience. And thanks everybody out there for listening. Until next time, dominate the day.